That's a nice, lovely sound. I don't know if we'll pick that up or not. So Frank Wilson has, for the better part of the past decade, been the books editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer and hosts a, a popular literary blog entitled Books, Inc. with a Q. Yes, for Inquirer. And it's now the epilogue. Because he retired uh, in, in February. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Glad to be here. Uh, I'd like to examine with you the criteria, the qualifications, the things that make a literary blog successful. Well, I started off by doing it wrong. By thinking like a journalist. And I'll just toss in an occasional pronouncement from on high of mine and that the entire world is out there waiting to hear my gems of wisdom. Well, they weren't. The blog took off when I started linking and connecting to other bloggers and other things that I found on the web and sharing them with people, occasionally throwing in a comment with regard to them, citing a particular part that I thought was worthwhile, and sometimes, in between, saying something of, at greater length. So yours is very much one of these blogs that's, uh, that's filled with links as opposed to lengthier... Except that now I'm beginning to, now that I have time on my hands, I want to incorporate some more thoughtful, but not too long pieces, because I, th- I don't think that the blog form admits to, to really lengthy pieces. I actually think that a, that a form is going to evolve in the blog. Something like the old causerie of the French paper, the short essay. So short, you mean three, four hundred words, if that? Oh, I think you could get up to six hundred easily. A, a book I reviewed a few years ago, Peter Altenberg's uh, Telegrams of the Soul. Altenberg was a Viennese around the turn of the century, and he wrote these short, personal little pieces that would be perfect for the blogosphere. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it, how you can go back to all sorts of authors and look through their commonplace books. And, Absolutely. Uh, we were talking about Somerset Maugham and his writer's notebook. Right. These are, uh, these are all sort of early versions of the electronic they blog. Were waiting for, they were waiting for the Internet. There's another dimension to it. You have the interactivity. So it's a combination of a commonplace book and a conversation with anyone who wants to join. I think that's one of the reasons that the print media doesn't like it, is that they don't want that conversation. Mm-hmm. They would prefer yeah. that it be a one-way, do as I say, yeah. just listen to me. We're the authority. Yeah, whereas I think bloggers actually like that. It's a way of reaching out and, and connecting with people who share your passions. And dumb ideas get better if you have the dialogue going up. Gee, Plato remembered that, knew that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the idea that you, it's bouncing the idea back and forth. That's how you refine it, hone it, maybe discover that it's wrong. I mean, there is the possibility that you you could have your, um, I don't know what your censorship things are. No, you can say fuck as many times oh, as you okay. want. You could have your head up your ass. <laughs> and it's nice for someone to point that out to you from time to time. Because you can then pry it out and, and get up with your... Clean it off. I remember someone at the Inquirer time that it, it, it appeared that the only blog that he knew was Daily Coast and had developed his opinions about blogs. Oh, jeez. 
a partisan political blog is all you should know about the... And in fact, most of what I would usually hear about blogs from my colleagues at the paper were obviously based upon no experience reading them at all, but what they had read about them. Mm. And as I told somebody, if the only thing you know about blogs is what you read in the paper, you don't know blogs at all. So the first thing that you did then was to make some mistakes. You you came across Instapundit. I had been following Instapundit for, that's one of the first blogs that I knew. And I just decided, well, you know, what he does there is he he's reading stuff on the Internet. He's serving as a clearinghouse in right. a way. He's presenting them to people. And not only that, it occurred to me that, hey, I'm supposed to be a book editor. I'm supposed to be covering the book beat. Yeah. I can't write about everything. So why not just point out to people, this is going on. If you're interested in books and literature, you may be interested in this. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I thought this about it. From that point on, I got into the, about the... Oh, I guess I get about five or six hundred hits a day, usually. The grumpy old bookman says that 400 hits or more a day makes you a, a, a leading lit blog. Sometimes, if Glenn Reynolds of Instapundit links to you, as he has to me on occasion, uh, you get an insta-lanch, and then your, your stats go up into the thousands. I mean, I've got 5,000 hits a day when he is linked to something that I... Uh, but is that how you judge your success by the number of hits you get? Or is no, I hardly ever look at it. Somebody yeah. had to t- write to me to tell me that I had, uh, when I when I topped over a hundred thousand or something like that. I mean, I have a stat counter on there. What I use the stat counter for is for discovering other blogs. Yeah, because you're able to see referrals right, see and where it's hey, coming I've never from. Heard of these people? Let's see what they do. And, yeah, uh, that's what I'm interested in. In terms of your blog being successful, first of all, you're providing a service to anyone that's interested in. Uh, literature, because they go to your site, you've filtered the the thousands that are out there and provided them with links to what you think is worthwhile. Right, somebody just sent me an email complimenting me for that, as a matter of fact. So that's, in your own heart, is part of why you do this, to provide a service. Yeah, part partly. That's At least that's how it started, because I thought this would be a, a, a nice corollary to being a book editor that I would provide readers. I mean, I'm supposed to know something about this field, so that's an idea. But the, for me, it became more important because of the uh, people I began to meet. Electronically. Electronically. Yeah. And to, one developed this international correspondence, as it were. We would not be sitting here except for that connection, and I've met some bloggers. It's just a terrific way of connecting with people all, of, all over the world, literally. A good example would be Vikram Jory, who has uh, a, a blog out of Delhi, India. I happened to discover it, discovered it in the sense that I came upon it. And I realized, here's a guy writing in Delhi who writes English as well as I do and knows more about Henry James than I do, I think. So I asked him to do a review for me, and he did. And it was a very good review. This was in the uh, Inquirer? Yeah. I thought, you know, there are all these Indian-American writers... Well, I got a guy in India to review these novels. Mm-hmm. And he did, and he was excellent doing it. Pretty soon he was getting reviews in the Christian Science Monitor. The uh, Based on the fact that you'd sort of given him a break, if you right. will. And Which is what you're renowned for, too, incidentally. And I'm speaking to Frank Wilson, who's uh, one of the more popular uh, lit bloggers in the blogosphere. I know many bloggers that 
you have given sort of their break in a, in a sense. If that is indeed a break, b- going into print, is that a break? Or, or it may be an avenue toward them becoming better known so that they can then start to make s- uh, an income doing what they love to do, I suppose. Well, it's interesting. I have a signed copy of Mark Sarvis's novel in which he actually thanked me for giving the, the proverbial big break. It's funny, I said, two days in a row I've had that. Uh, I guess from, their, uh, from the point of view of the person doing the reviewing, they're getting a kind of validation. But from my point of view, it's just I'm looking for somebody who was just selfishly looking for good reviewers. Mm-hmm. And this is a good uh, reading ground, well, a good place to well, go if to you're find looking them. For, if that's what you want... I can't think of a better place to look than people who are doing it because they love to do it, as opposed to somebody who just is doing it because they have nothing better to do or have been assigned it. Even the people at the Inquirer who wrote for reviewed books because they enjoyed it. It was a pleasure for them. They liked doing it. So, I mean, if you have eyes to see and you can read these reviews, there you have this whole pool of committed. You've got to be committed because most of them are doing it for no money at all. And you can tell yourself whether it's well-written, well-reasoned, well-observed, and you, go, you take it from there. And again, there's that aspect of the interactivity. You're not just standing on a soapbox preaching. You have a chance of engaging in conversation with... What were my chances of having a correspondence with a senior editor at probably the most prestigious science journal in the, in the world, Nature? Prior to blogging, I'd say nil. Um, and now you've, you've become very friendly with... Maxine Clark. And yeah. her blog is... Petrona. Petrona. And what was Maxine reviewing for me? Crime fiction. She likes to read crime fiction. We can't be spending all of our time with biology. Got to get some murder in there somewhere. Right. But so you've, uh, you've given uh, a lot of bloggers a sense of perhaps self-esteem, some sort of recognition beyond the blogosphere... Now you've, you're, you're out of the newspaper, you've got time to concentrate on your literary blog. Where do you want to take it and why? Now that I'm a has-been. Now that you've got time to, to do the real thing. <laughs> I think there's an inherent form to blogging, or that there will be, that there's something in the process itself that lends itself to a certain form and not to others. I don't think huge, as I said, I don't think huge, lengthy, what would be a 100-inch story in the New York Times would work on a blog. Mm. On the other hand, breaking that story down into segments, which the blog would lend you, is in fact possibly a very useful way of altering exposition. It forces you to break the thing down into stages as you deal with the problem. This is the beginning of what we want to talk about. And you can immediately get feedback even before you proceed. Right now, your blog, as it stands, you've been able to build up an impressive readership, a daily readership, because of the fact that it's a a go-to place for links that are worthwhile uh, reading. How are you going to evolve from there? Are you going to just continue to do that because that's what you love to do? Well, I do like to do that because, you know, like you, I'm sure I have to sit there, get up in the morning, surf the web, find stories that are interesting. I have people like... Dave Lull in Wisconsin, and Maxine, and uh, Jim Carmen out in Oregon, and uh, Paul Davis, not far from here in South Philly, uh, who send me links that they think I would be interested in. So I like that. It's sharing. Did you see this? So I, And I, since I can now do it in advance, I've got everything done for today up until 8 or 9 o'clock. 
I do one an hour. So that frees me now. So you do one li- one special post that provides a link per hour? Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming at now, which then frees me up. Although, if someone sends me something, I get an email, and I think it needs to go on now, it goes on now. Saul Bellow dies. Well, we'll wait until now. No, we'll tell people right away. That enables me to think about things so that I can now intersperse from time to time. I did a last a week or so ago. I actually reported the piece on the blog. I went out to a bank that has leased a large portion of its premises to a a coffee house. So you can go to this bank, watch the high definition TV, plug in your um, laptop. Laptop. Uh, have coffee, have a brioche, and if you need to get some, need to cash a check or borrow some money, there are some tellers right over there too, or deposit money. But business people, they're going to have readings there. They're going to have um, maybe book clubs host, uh, hosted there. Mm. There's some, there's real potential mm. there. Mm. Um, I suggested on my blog that. What a great place for people to get together to discuss the books about the financial world that come out. What You could actually probably find an officer of the bank who could ask you a specific question about them and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And all, all or clarify of, what's in the book or right, whatever, yeah. Right. The citizen journalist. That's what I am now. Yeah. <laughs> Not a professional. Well, I guess I, since I still write for the Enquirer, I guess I still qualify as a semi-professional. But a couple of questions then, because we're focusing in on literary blogs. What would you like, in say, in another year or so? Do you have a, an ambition, a goal for your blog? Yeah, and I'm thinking that I would, one of the things I'd like to do is, uh, the two things that most interest, interest me outside, in terms of writing, are poetry and essays. And there are some essays that I would want to write. And I was actually thinking of writing them and just embedding them as a PDF file in the blog, for anybody who wants to read them, fine. I don't have to worry about making a living anymore. I mean, I'm I'm comfortably well off. So I can write pretty much what I want, but I don't have to be be writing like a... um, I've been a a professional writer for 40-odd years, and and I know that you don't write in a closet. You have an audience. You write for people. So this is a way of doing that. I, I want to experiment with things like that. I want to see where the blog can go. I think blog, I think blogging has much more potential than people have yet figured out. What I'm also sense? thinking that I wouldn't mind doing podcasts and maybe even video if I could figure out how to do the technical side of it. To expand on the, the this is something that I am interested in: books and reading and the ideas and experiences connected thereunto. I mean, we read books because of their connection with life, I think. At least I do. It's the same thing. I gave a talk at the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore a few years ago. I was connecting French Impressionist painting with French Symbolist poetry. And the point that I was making is that when you leave here, when you have looked at these paintings, when you have read these poems, they're looking at life. They enable you to see the world better. So when you step out of the museum, look around and see what the artist has taught you about how to see. And poets teach you how to teach you to appreciate your feelings. You have the feelings. But you may not notice them enough. You may not appreciate them enough. 
And this is this is what you hope to be able to uh, yeah. to do for the visitors. I hope to your site. In a small way. I mean, there's no. I don't but, want to sound messianic about it, but uh, no. But that's the that's a driving uh, yeah. motivation. Yeah. One of the things that my I have repeated on my blog a number of times is because it's about books, because it's about literature, it is also about the nature of discourse, and I find that is one of the weaknesses in our society at the moment. I think a lot of people really don't know how to think. It's very passive, isn't it? The whole multimedia right. uh, revolution. It Actually, you bring up an interesting... The one thing about blogging is that it's active. You put your finger on something, though, because one, one of the strange... When I became book editor in 2000... Now, I've been reviewing books professionally since October of 1964. So and I've been reading all of my life. But I never read more... <laughs> that I had to after I began a book. I mean, I was reading all the time. And it had a, a strange side effect, which I, strangely enough, it seems completely predictable, though I didn't predict it. It was that I found it very, very difficult to enjoy passive entertainment. Television was almost unwatchable. Going to a film, the film didn't really grab me within the first... I mean, it was, it, I, I just sat there saying, I wish I were home reading a book. Sitting through Titanic was an excruciating experience. I am not making this up. I actually did at one point close my eyes and say, please, God, may the words, the end, appear on the screen. It just seemed like the movie would never end. I wanted to push push him down into the water again. It's funny. I feel exactly the same way. Uh, And I think it's as much, even more so, since, since I started blogging. You read... And you want to share what yeah. you've read. You want to share your thoughts. You want to get some feedback. But there's this fundamental instinct or urge to to share what you've yeah. read with other people who've read have the you same thing. Had that experience? Well, we I guess we have, but it's. Don't the, you remember when you were a kid? You just read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You show your parents, but right. I mean, I think the thing, the thing that's that's so exciting about blogging is is that you do have that community of people who have share the same interests, whereas. Geographically, you may have a few friends that are interested in reading, but you often you don't have anyone that you can come and say, look, look, let's talk about this. I've just read this, and it's fabulous. Doesn't it... I know it's going to sound... It's probably going to sound sentimental, but don't you feel that the world is a nicer place since you blog because of the... because you have found that there are people all over the world who are um, kindred spirits... Uh, sure, there are unpleasant people that you encounter on blogs. There are some unpleasant people who to walk out my door uh, if you um, comes with the territory of being human. But to just know that the, that there are these people who it reduces the loneliness quotient. We are, thanks to blogging, actually entering a less lonely phase in human. Uh, and I don't mean any cliche about the global village. Which actually wasn't a cliche at all. Not as understood originally by uh, Marshall McLuhan was no no cliche at all, but a very actually tacked on to um, Teilhard de Chardin's notion of the new sphere. That's coming to pass in our time. Teenagers or kids who were kind of nerdish and had difficulty with uh, socializing with their peers 
because the internet perhaps attracted their kind of person, regardless of where their interests may have, have laid. But they now have that kind of social interaction, albeit electronic, that kids in the previous generation never had. Never had. So they, as you said, were lonely and... Well, no. I would have to say that I grew up rather, rather as a, a nerdy sort of a, in the 50s, and he didn't have... And a lot of kids, I mean, you turn to books, I assume, yeah. as your friends. Yeah. 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 There's also, um, are you familiar with the correspondence between Tchaikovsky and Madame von Meck with a woman that he never met? Didn't he go through uh, some awful uh, yeah. break? Break? Was it, I don't know if it was her. But. Well, uh, Tchaikovsky appears to have been a homosexual who, yeah. to cover up his the possible scandal of marrying a maniac, which was a bad idea. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> but he um, he could correspond with Madame von Meck in a way in which he opened his soul to her, his beloved friend. Mm. So this is what you're suggesting can take place on the internet. Yeah, people can meet each other who, uh, and they meet each other on the grounds of a mutual shared passion mm. and a knowledge that they both have that's rare, let's say. The fact is, if, you're, if your interest is in reading poetry and listening to Elgar and looking at paintings by Sargent, you've already defined yourself in a way that means you're probably... I mean, uh, yeah, I could watch an Eagles game. Uh, I do like baseball. Um, baseball's different. Um, but I'm not. Even when I drank, you weren't going to see me at the local sports bar. And I'm certainly not turning on the radio to hear people argue over last night's game, which strikes me as a name. So I've defined myself out, out of that. You know what kind of a person that is. They're probably in the minority. Sorry, who? The, 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 people, who, the people who want to read, who are going to read poetry, listen to classical music, and so are probably a smaller part of the... Not, not probably. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to, to meet other people like that. That you don't wouldn't run into that frequently, normally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and on top of that, you learn things. I mean, good heavens, an email from Maxine Clark telling me about the election in London is worth all the commentary I'm going to get on PBS tonight. Yeah. Because that's a person who lives there, who actually had a franchise, <laughs> who could vote. One of the things, though, that uh, that I'm sure keeps you at it is if you've got a passion for a particular author, let's say, you defend that author and analyze their work and spend time with them on your blog. As a result of that, that author contacts you. Like uh, we were talking about the roundtable over at, at Champion's when, uh, blog on Nicholson Baker. Nicholson Baker, yeah. And he actually... Joined in. Joined in. That kind of a participation, is, is that what would keep you going with your blog? Sure, now that you mention that, you know, that nothing that you would subsequently have read, I've re I have linked to other reviews of that book, some of them pretty nasty, I suppose, but nothing that you would read in any of the reviews that have appeared subsequent to that conversation that we had, that Ed, Ed set it up, would tell you anything more. You got basically the ground rules for discussing that book from that conversation that was done through Ed's blog. Done in a civilized manner. Even though there were critical 
things. I mean, I made some critical remarks on it, but yeah. I, 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 honesty. And Baker was is obviously a, a big boy and can take it. It illustrates, doesn't it, how in addition to a variety of different viewpoints, that's also open to visitors to comment on what right. you're, what you're saying. And if to. the aim of reviewing is to allow the consumer of books to be able to make an informed judgment as to whether they want to get that book or not, that seems to me to be better than just somebody declaring on high in the New York Times book review that this book is crap or the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, there you actually, in a way, I was thinking when I read those episodes on, on Ed's blog that you were maybe seeing the first valid replacement of the old-fashioned review. I mean, the point of the review there is the consumer, the book consumer, whether anybody likes it or not. If that's what you want, you were really getting it there. I mean, it was quite quite a significant investment of time to read it. Oh yeah, to to read the blog entries from the oh, various, yeah. various and the book, the books participants. Five hundred pages long, something yeah. like that. Yeah, but it was also enlightening. I, I would, it was certainly enlightening for me. I found everything that everybody wrote interesting to read. I certainly understood uh, Baker's position much better than I. I actually understood it better, even though I'd read the book, because mm-hmm. of course he cheats himself pretty distant in the book, but. To have him participate like that. And then, as you say, people could comment on that further. If the aim is to inform the reader about this book, you got it there. In a sort of an interactive right. you were group in, involvement. Uh, you were back in a London chocolate shop in the 18th century where there was uh, no holds barred and everybody was there, including the author. And again, this is something that's very difficult to duplicate in a traditional newspaper. Absolutely. It has to be said that newspapers are not... They may have a letters to the editor's column, but most people in newspapers are not pleased to get... Uh, it's just uh, more work for them, isn't uh, it? Also, also, they don't tend to uh, be pleased at uh, particularly negative feedback. Mm-hmm. A, I mean, I encountered an awful lot of how dare they criticize me attitude. How dare they? It's because they're paying for the product and they have a right to complain. What, what uh, then, looking at the future then... Basically, what with the exercise with Ed, it's taken advantage of the fact that a blog can serve as a forum for, for, for a variety of different opinions, plus comments on those opinions. Right. And as a result, you get a, a, a more complete picture of whatever's under discussion, if it's a book. And a, and a deeper one. And a deeper one. That is a, a characteristic of a blog that perhaps makes it superior in a way to what we've been experiencing with traditional journalism. And is that, in your opinion, where we're headed? I think you're going to have both. I mean, there's always going to be the person who's going to have the the well-turned commentary piece. Which is what people would look for. Right. And while I'm, when it comes to predicting, I'm in the Niels Bohr school, predicting is difficult, especially the future, but it would seem to me that it has to go in that direction because of the obvious potential. As I, as I said, said to you when we were having lunch, I think there's going to be a natural selection process going on. Certain people are going to write blog posts that people are just going to want to read on their own. Cream rising to the top. And, and the thing you were, you were doing, the Shakespeare thing, I mean, what paper can do that? Really? How do you do that in the newspaper? How do you do it on television? And people want to get involved. I mean, people don't want to be preached at all the time. And what's so bad about treating them with a certain amount of respect 
and letting them have their say. If the aim, as I said earlier, is the actual understanding of a book, a subject, an idea, it seems to me that the more voices you have in involved, the better. Uh, to a certain extent. To a certain think, as with a traditional book club, if you've got about four or five right. participants, that's uh, beyond that it becomes... And difficult. on top of that, there is the, uh, there's the fool quotient. <laughs> One in six. Uh, yeah. There's there are going to be some people who just uh, aren't. Uh, you probably know this from reading reviews. Is there are I mean, one of the things that I looked for from a reviewer was what I studied in philosophy was phenomenology, and I do believe that if you can accurately and precisely describe to me what you have experienced, I will know what you feel about it because you can't do that without choosing certain things to communicate that. But you don't have to say two thumbs up all the time or like this, like that. There's The evaluative range of expression is actually pretty narrow. The mm-hmm. descriptive range is huge. It's practically infinite. So what I looked for in reviewers was did you accurately present the book in such a way that I have a good idea of what it of what it's about. It's a bit like uh, the art reviewer who the successful review is one that enables you to feel like you're actually at the exhibit. Right. Right. So that you have a... Uh, that's, uh, or experience a, what right. it's like have to be at the exhibit. Have a flavor for it. Have, yeah. a, have some tang of it. And I wanted people to give, if you don't like the book, or you do like the book, give sound reasons based on the text. Uh, I don't want autobiography. Or, yeah, conjecture. And I don't want emoting. This is for a reader to be able to make up his or her mind as to whether it's worth shelling out 20 bucks or 25 whatever. Now, I, one of the things about blogging and the interactivity is that that tends to come out because somebody says, well, what about this? Well, okay, now that you mentioned it, I should have blah, blah, blah. So the dialogue, as, dialectical aspect... Mm, uncovers. Right. That you might have... After we all over... We all overlook things mm-hmm. from time to time. It's not just reviewing. I think that the Internet's capacity to allow people to exchange views, I, I can't see how it cannot have a massive effect on the way we think. So we've just got one final little thing to, to talk about, and that is if you could, Frank Wilson, of books, INQ, what's the actual ad- website address? What is Oh, you would ask me that. Yeah, I would, yeah. Uh, don't know. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> have if, to look it up. If you Google that, you'll get to the you'll, site. If yeah, you okay. Google books, comma, INQ, you'll get books, comma, INQ, the epilogue, which is how I tell everybody to find it. Okay. So in, just in closing out, I know we said we, we wouldn't do this, but I think for a listener who's interested in literature, what handful of literary blogs should they start off bookmarking? Aside from ours, of course. Right. Anecdotal evidence. Patrick Kirk's. I think he's, I mean, that's something I look at every day. There's a poetry blog that comes out of, um, not just going to tell off the top of my head. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, surroundings. Rob McKenzie. It's in Scotland. Shameless Words, which is Seamus, I can't think it's Seamus. Oh, is he out of New Zealand? Uh, yes. Uh, but he now lives in Lyon, France. And he took those pictures of the shameless lions and uh, It's not a literary blog, but I start my day by going to Brian Appleyard's Thought Experiments, principally because his co-blogger, 
Nige, whoever Nige is, seems to be my soulmate. We just happen to think of remarkably alike and, and share so many interests. Uh, flowers, birds. I, I think I mentioned Maxine Clark's Patrona, which is actually a very interesting thing because it's not just literature. That it's a really good entryway to science. And I do think people, particularly people in, who are interested in the humanities, need to learn more about science. They need to be more scientifically literate than they are. So let's see, what other ones do I... Uh, I always go to About Last Night, which is a, a combination of blog. Terry Teachout of the Wall Street Journal, Carrie Fry, and Laura Demansky. Not sure if I have her. Our girl in Chicago. Those are ones I just routinely go to, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Sure. Oh, I always go to uh, Clattery McHenry Poetry, just to see if there's anything new there. And there's... Um, See, there's also there's poetry and poets and rags. If you're interested in poetry, you've got to go there because that's a that's a clearinghouse for information about poet. I mean, if you just have to go there to find out what's going on, Mark Sarvis's the elegant variation, uh, Ed's uh, Ed Rance as he calls it now, Maud Newton, Book Ninja, Canadian. I was going to say, is that a, I think that's a yeah, that's Canadian. Right. George Murray is a is a is a very good poet. Yes, I uh, and he has a um, an attitude much uh, that I feel very sympathetic with, <laughs> <laughs> and I always look at his thing every day. Let's see. So that's the ones that are popping into my brain, uh, and people have to understand that it's an aging brain. So, uh, and I'm not in front of my computer. But those are that's a good start. Though, that's though. a good start. Yeah. yeah. Um, I hope I'm not leaving. Oh, uh, there's one called Brandywine Books that I rather like. I'm not even sure where. Oh, and there um, and my former reviewer Roger Miller, the view from Graustark. There's some really good literary stuff there because Roger does some really nice appreciations. Of uh, he he wrote some fine things for me about, about John P. Marquand, Sinclair Lewis's. Um, there was an, an anniversary for one of Lewis's books, and he, uh, as Roger pointed out, was the only book, book review editor who would run that sort of thing. But uh, they're great. He's a former book editor himself. In fact, he was very helpful to me. See, I'm I'm very open to other people feeding me ideas because I, I don't have the time. I don't have the brains really. So, yeah. Now that I think about it, that's why I started blogging because it was a sort of way of saying. I'm just getting all these ideas from the, by going through the blogosphere. Well, why couldn't I share them with other people? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to know about it, I mean, I, I don't have uh, God streaming down inspiration to me all the time. Uh, most of those people were sending me ideas all the time. There's uh, critical mass, too. Oh, yes, yes. If you want to do... Who am I forgetting? National Book Critics Circle, isn't it? National Book Critics yeah. Circle, yeah. yeah. Vikram Juries. Uh, out of New Delhi, I mentioned. Or it's it's a funny, I'm not exactly sure how you would pronounce it. It's P R P A T R K B, something like that. I'm not sure, but that's always worth because Vikram makes some very very interesting. Uh, he makes interesting points about literature, but also you get a point of view from around the other side of the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. I mean, why read what somebody in the New York Times has to say about India? When a person in India can tell you about it. <laughs> That's what I don't understand. People have the opportunity now 
to actually find out what people in Germany think about German affairs. Why not the German yourself? authors, German writers, right. German poets. Yeah. Right. Why not avail yourself of that? Why listen to what uh, David Brooks has to say or Mark Shields on the on the tube? Because you know what? They don't know any more than you do. They're getting the same. They're getting information the same place you're getting. Those are the ones. My apologies to all the people I forgot. Well, thanks for that that primer, and uh, best of luck 